0: In this episode, I answer a listener question about how to best support their partner who is in a very stuck, defensive state. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. If you're one of the super fans, please uh, hang around after the main topic. I've got a, two announcements, actually. I've got a request, and I've also, well, right now I've got a few disclaimers, and those are, please put yourself first. I keep every episode as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up, so take a break if you need to and this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. This is a real email someone sent me, but I'm treating it as a general question that any of my listeners could potentially benefit from. This is not specific life advice for this person or nor for anybody else. These are just my thoughts, so I got this email from somebody who was asking how she could best support her partner who was in a very stuck defensive state. I'm going to read this in segments and just share my thoughts along the way. And this was a pretty long one, so I I, uh, took out a lot. So we'll start here. She says, when I try to talk about what's happening, he feels that he is disappointing me. I don't want him to worry about disappointing me. Any suggestions about my wording or should I not bring it up at all? I met him seven years ago, and he's been stuck for probably the last five. So like I said, I t- took a lot out. We are right in the thick of it. Uh, th- so what comes up for me when I hear this sentiment, and it's like, again, not just this person, but I will see this I don't know, here and there. And as a therapist, my work as a therapist this definitely comes up. What comes to my mind is that when we're attempting to help somebody, which is great, and that's completely appropriate, fantastic, awesome, but in my opinion, we have to realize and also accept that, and I maybe even get some peace with the fact that we do not control them. And I don't, I'm not trying to say this person is attempting to control or that you are, dear listener, but um, we, we do have to realize that. And I think we have to accept that. I think we have to get some peace around that, that we ultimately we do not control anybody else, including the person that we love and including the person that we are extremely worried about. I've done and I'm doing parenting groups for years and years and years and years. And this is one of the, the lessons. This is actually the first lesson that comes up is that we don't control other people, including our children. And even though that might be anxiety producing and uncomfortable, it's simply the reality of things. We simply we don't control anybody else, right? Their well-being is more or less out of our control. And I would say more so. It's just it's out of our control. Now of course we can influence them for better for better or worse we can definitely influence somebody else that's that's, that's different control is where we can somehow uh, let's say like push buttons and make something happen we can exert our will and make somebody else do something influence means that we can have an impact on them influence means that I think that we we respect that they ultimately make their own decisions and have to live with the consequences of those decisions as well. Influence is different than control. If we can first accept that their well-being is out of our control, that somebody else's well-being is out of our control, and that that's a it's tough to swallow, but if we can first accept that, then we can calm ourselves, hopefully, slow down and then become more in the present moment and if we can do that, then we will have access to our ventral, vagal, safe and social state. We're going to have more access to our capacity to think critically and uh, come up with other options or resources that we've heard about. But if we're in a frantic or rageful or anxious, sympathetic flight fight energy, then our capacity to do those things is very compromised. So if we really want to help someone. I I think part of that is, is realize we don't control them. They do make their own choices. But on top of that, if we really want to help somebody, then we kind of have to put ourselves first in a way we have to be our as self regulated as possible. And from there, we're going to give cues of safety. So that's, that's helpful. But from there, we're also going to have a lot more access to coming up with ways to help that might actually be more helpful. When we're in the sympathetic state, that flight fight energy. In that state, we we want to do something, we want to do something, we want to do anything. We we will step in if we're not needed. We will uh, try to make that person feel better, and that might be a codependent kind of thing where we are absolving them of responsibility, or we are fulfilling their needs and wants in order to try to contain their potentially damaging behavior. And I'm talking very generally here, you probably have a situation that, that doesn't apply to that's fine. But this is just in general. When we're in that sympathetic state, we want to do something, but we don't stop and ask if it's actually going to be helpful. We don't stop and wonder if, if it's something we should do, or if it has the potential to be helpful. Or if it's something that we've done before and we keep doing it, we don't ever slow down and say, you know, this isn't going very well. I'm not being helpful. And maybe the person doesn't need whatever it is that you want to do. Whatever that sympathetic energy is telling you to do. You know, story, fall, state, I guess. So if you have that sympathetic energy, then in your mind, an an answer will come to your mind that that something to do will come to your mind. But maybe the person doesn't need that. Maybe your loved one doesn't need that. I would say that self-regulation is is something that that is doing something. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like you're being productive and assertive enough, maybe and helpful enough. But it is something. It's a lot, and I know this is uncomfortable. But I I believe this is simply true. It's an uncomfortable truth. But we we don't we don't control other people. Their well-being is ultimately out of our control. And I think it's a lot more healthy to look at that as someone has the capacity to be instrumental in their own change. Yeah, we can influence them. Yes, we can be part of it. But ultimately, it's out of our hands. And I, again, this is a truth that I would talk about in my parenting classes, and parents didn't like this. Parents from many cultural, ethnic class, the parents of all backgrounds heard the same message and some had a really hard time swallowing it, but eventually, it's it just kind of makes sense. We don't control other people. If we did, or if they did, they wouldn't be in the parenting group. If the, they, if they had control over their kids, they, they wouldn't have, they would not be there. If we had could somehow make our loved one do whatever it is, then that would have happened by now. So I think it's a really hard realization, but it's it's very central to. Uh, being more instrumental in the capacity to actually help and to actually offer co-regulation, which which is helpful. It doesn't solve the problem, but it's helpful. That is how we can influence people is by being in our own safe and social state and offering that. Hopefully they'll pick up on it and hopefully that'll help them to build their capacity to make some change in their life. It's not everything, but it, it might be more helpful than doing the same things over and over again. This healthy boundary that I'm talking about is, it's very essential in um, helping. She goes on to say, I've tried showing him that I would never hurt him or leave him. I respect his feelings. I give him space when he needs it. I'm patient and understanding, but still, he must not feel safe with me. Now, with this kind of sentiment, if you can relate to this, dear listener, um, let's be careful not to blame ourselves. The self-blame doesn't help. Okay, so, and again, someone else's choices and potential in life is largely out of our control. So there's literally only so much that we can do. We can do a lot, we can do something maybe, something to a lot. But ultimately there's literally only so much that we can do. And if we take, if we do too much, that might not actually be helpful and it might create this, um, dependent kind of thing. And we don't want that. That's not really build, building healthy boundaries. And that's not building that other person to stand on their own two feet, feel confident, feel proud of themselves. So this is not, I'm not being pessimistic here. I, re- I really, you got to believe me on this. This, this is in my opinion, respecting the capacity of the other person to be instrumental in their own change. Yes, we can influence people. Yes, we can co-regulate. Or we can at least offer it. But change ultimately comes down to that individual. Doesn't it? I, I don't see two ways about that. We can't. I can't compel anybody to change. I can influence them. I can influence my kids, yeah. I can influence uh, my friends and my family. But Ultimately, they make their own choices. The sentiment here that he still must not feel safe with me. This uh, stuck out to me, and I wonder if, uh, dear listener, I wonder if you can relate to this, but just in general here, if someone doesn't feel safe with you, it it might not be because of you. They've lived a life with, uh, I would guess, unsafety. They potentially have been through some stuff that have left them in a stuck defensive state. Now, if that's true, well, for any of us, if that's true for any of us, when we exist in a stuck defensive state, we simply don't feel safe. Now, of course, we might feel less safe with one person or another. We might feel more safe with one person or another, depending on many things. But in general, if we're in a stuck defensive state, we potentially are not really feeling very safe Around anybody, potentially. And this there's degrees to this, and some people I've that message me or comment on Instagram, this is kind of their constant. And it's not really uh if if you're in a situation similar to to this letter here, it might not be because of you. It might not be that they're safe not safe around you or that they don't feel safe around just you. It might be an issue of that's just kind of how they exist day, moment to moment, day to day. They probably don't feel safe around others, and they potentially don't even feel safe just within themselves. They don't feel that safety and self love or self worth or confidence. And that's why it's so important that we respect that they do have people do have it within them to be instrumental in their own change. That doesn't mean we just wash our hands of it and say, hey, good luck. We can still influence people, we can still offer support, we can still offer co-regulation, but it, it is vital, in my opinion, to truly feel happy, to truly feel successful and confident that we are a part of our own change, a part at least a part of it. But ultimately, I, I do think it comes down to that. She goes on to say, I'm not complaining because I wouldn't have stayed if I didn't feel that it was worth it. He's worth it all. I feel people sometimes can miss the best person because they don't take the time to hear what's happening and why a person may or may not be doing something. A relationship is more complex than that. He was a rock when I've needed it and I will always be his. I didn't reach out to you only for a relationship. I reached out because I can listen and be there for him, but I'm not a scientist or a therapist and he deserves to be able to safely feel again and to have some peace and happiness within. The love that is expressed in this is just plain as day. You can't miss it. There's lots of love here, right? And yeah, we all deserve to have some peace and happiness simply by virtue of being a human being. I believe, I would argue, that simply being born human, we deserve to have some peace and we deserve to have some happiness. That that doesn't mean we're going to get it. That doesn't mean that we can compel others to give it to us or for us, because we don't. Again, we don't control each other. But that does mean that we have a right to at least pursue it, right? Peace and happiness. But this is not something that that can be given to us. I don't. I don't think we can give happiness to each other. I think we can give our own safety, our our own self regulation, our own co-regulation. We can offer these things. Again, we don't control others. We we can't compel someone to feel happy. We just can't or at at peace. These are things that we have to earn. These aren't given to us. No government is going to give these things to us. Okay. No religion is going to give us peace and happiness. That's not the way it works. That's something that I think we have to earn on an individual level, yeah, and yes, working with other individuals. You know, when I work in the my public school district and I work with uh, teens that are born into really crummy circumstances, who miss school a lot and fail and don't turn in assignments and a lot of times could care less. Even though these kids are promoted to the next class, or they go from Spanish 1 to Spanish 2, they don't always earn it. And, well, a lot of times they don't, and they're not actually prepared for the next class. So even though they're given the next class, they don't feel confident. They don't feel like they can handle the next class, because literally they can't. But they didn't earn the passing grade. They were just sort of given it. Schools don't like to fail kids. And this is not all schools. This is not all schools. But this is an issue. And I think if you work in certain public schools, you know what I'm talking about. These kids are given graduation sometimes when they are not prepared for real life. They have not truly mastered high school level education. And they don't feel confident because we can't make them feel that way. They don't feel happy about it. They're relieved to be done with school probably, but they don't feel proud of themselves because we can't make them. They have to earn that through work, just like all of us, right? No different. So we we can't be given these things. Can't be given happiness. Can't be given peace or confidence. Can we support others on their journey to do so? Yeah, hell yeah. Can we encourage others and praise them? And be there for them when they need us emotionally? I really hope so. Absolutely. But ultimately, they have to be a part of that. All this wellness stuff that we learn about ultimately comes down to the individual asserting themselves in their own journey. We cannot do the wellness journey for others. They they have to at some point assert themselves in their own journey and take ownership over their own journey. In my opinion, if we don't respect that, we are dishonoring their process. Yes, we can be a part of it if they allow us to. Yes, we can offer support. I'm going to keep saying this. I know this is not going to sit well with many people. But if you don't make this realization, in my opinion, you are dishonoring and probably hindering somebody else's process of climbing their own polyvagal ladder of asserting their own wellness journey whatever that looks like for them and again this is just my general thoughts for everybody and it's um, inspired by what I'm reading here but I, I don't know this person I don't know the the uh, the man that she's discussing so I, it's not about them, This is just in general so I hired a coach but she could not do it for me I had to or I'm having to <laughs> My journey's not done And she had her role In my journey and I have mine Both of these things were essential I hired someone to help me out My wife is a fantastic support for me But it's my journey And yours is yours So these things are important They all, they all influence each other, right? And it it looks different, you know, relationship to relationship and role to role. My coach had a had a, has a, a professional relationship with me. She had a role, but I definitely had my role. She can't do it for me. I I had to I had to step up. I had to be uncomfortable. Had not had have to, still. If you can take a deep breath and accept that somebody else's wellness is ultimately out of your hands, I think that's a really good starting point. This does not mean you give up. This does not mean that you be okay with whatever the other person is doing or not doing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you acquiesce. I'm not saying that you give them permission to uh, mistreat you at all. No. I'm, I'm not saying that. I would never ask you to suspend your own values, your own sense of self, That's not what I'm talking about. Now, if these ideas are causing you to go to a place of, well, well but what if, or, uh, but if I don't do this, then they'll do that, or any other buts that are popping in your mind right now, you might need to slow down and really reflect on your expectations. This is just my thoughts. You do what you like. Just my thoughts. But I would say really slow down and and be with the discomfort or the pain of not being able to fix the situation. If you can't do that, you're probably, you might be in a pretty darn sympathetic state. And if that's true, you can still get stuff done, yeah. You'll probably have a lot of energy to do, 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 do. But that doesn't mean what you're doing is actually helpful. And it potentially might make things worse. And it may be robbing somebody of the opportunity for them to learn from mistakes. Or to assert themselves more in their their own journey. So we want that healthy boundary to be in there plus the sympathetic energy. And I think that is where you're going to find a lot more productivity, a lot more uh, clearer actually helpful answers. So that healthy boundary means that you have access to your state of safety and so and uh, self-regulation. I think in the healthy boundary, that's where you're going to have, you're going to be offering co-regulation. You're going to be respecting what the other person uh, is capable of and expecting the best of them while also honoring yourself and your values and what you expect of yourself. I think it's a really healthy place to be. I think it's a really good place to be. And you can have that healthy boundary plus the sympathetic energy and a lot that can be fuel for you as long as you can tolerate it. So you're going to have this energy to do, but you're also going to have the healthy boundary. You're going to have positive expectations. You're going to be giving that positive uh, expectation to the other person. You're going to be giving them uh, your co-regulation through those healthy boundaries through respecting them and their process and what that means for you or what it doesn't mean for you. Now, again, I edited a lot out of this part, so I'm going to jump to this next uh, section here where she says, it's really explaining so much about my husband's experience seven weeks ago that was triggered by us having an argument where I felt rejected and angry and I calmly said, F you. After the first very intense three-day shutdown, He told me that he feels that that was abusive and that I've been abusing him when I've gotten louder slash more emotional during arguments. I believe he has rejection, sensitive dysphoria, and I now see what I thought was him not caring enough to listen to me was really partly him sensing danger and going down the ladder. Both of us, actually. But the problem is that he's perceived my desperate pleas for love as criticism and abuse. Do you have any episodes or thoughts about this? I don't have any episodes, but here's my thoughts. I do have some thoughts on this. For the listener, so when we speak and someone listens, for the listener, they might be hearing what they're calling abuse, even when that's not intended, right? So for the listener, it may feel unsafe and even be followed by a story to back that up. So they may feel... Uh, unsafe. They might drop down into down their political ladder out of their own safety state. When that happens, story follows state. So we're going to create a narrative to explain that. So the narrative might be that whatever the speaker said was abusive. And that's not, not necessarily an accurate reflection of reality. If so, right? But that could be the flow of events. When we're in a defensive state, the world is filtered through defense. We experience things as defense. So a non-attack can come across as an attack. All right. Even if you don't need mean to, it could come across as an attack. And now these are things that are largely out of your control. We don't control how other people take in our information. We just don't. That doesn't mean we don't care. You can still care and do the best you can to communicate, but ultimately you do the best you can to communicate yourself, and that's kind of the best you can do. Now, for the speaker, when we communicate, we need to be, I don't don't know how practical this is, but reflect on, maybe before or after you say something, is is there an underlying need that I have that I am projecting, that I'm putting out there, maybe unintentionally? So is is there an underlying need that I have that I'm trying to communicate but maybe I'm just not communicating it very well. So maybe the listener is not hearing very well, and maybe the speaker is not uh, speaking very well. maybe they're not maybe they're not expressing themselves very well. So it comes from a need for love, a need for connection, a need for validation, maybe a need to be heard. But if we can't express that or if we can't get that, we, what ends up happening is we get more and more frustrated, right? And so it might come out as something else, even though we don't want it to come across as anger. That might be what happens. As we get more frustrated, we start to raise our voice. We start to speak faster, right? We yell. This doesn't look like this person just needs to be validated. It looks like anger. It looks like maybe abuse even, depending on what's going on. And then what happens is that the speaker, the person who's expressing themselves, they have now kind of made things worse in a way. And it's, it's blaming doesn't really help. I'm not trying to do that. But in this buildup of frustration or desperation, the, the initial need is still not met, like the need to be validated or the need to be understood or listened to or taken seriously. So that need is still there, but now there's a whole new problem of coming across as angry. And, uh, well, whatever else. And now both of these things are, are existing at the same time, making the whole process of listening and understanding and sharing a lot more difficult. Right. And both of these things are impacting the listener and the going can respond out of their own uh, sense of danger, their own frustration, their own uh, hurt. Right. So it just, it kind of like snowballs. And this is what happens when we have two people with unmet needs. If if these two people have little ability to self-regulate, it's going to be a very difficult conversation. If you're coming into a conversation with a low ability to self-regulate, and this is not an insult at all, but if we're in a stuck defensive state, that means we probably have a, a lower ability to self-regulate for now. And it can definitely get better, but we can get stuck there for a very long time, right? So if we have two people coming into a conversation with, uh, with with a lower ability to self-regulate and unmet needs, that's, that's potentially going to be a very difficult conversation. They're not going to hear each other. They're not going to feel heard. And the way they respond to each other is going to reinforce those stuck defensive states. There's not going to be any co-regulation going back and forth, right? It's just two people who are in their very own frustrated, stuck defensive state trying to get needs met and nothing happens. Co-regulation in a relationship is fantastic. It's great. Kind of necessary in my opinion. But I'm going to go back to that individual thing. Because a relationship is is two individuals coming together. So I'm going to say it again. Co-regulation is fantastic in a relationship. We need that. But a relationship is two individual. Well, I guess two or more. But we'll say two individuals coming together into a relationship, right? So it's two individuals. And co-regulation does not happen unless at least one of these people is self-regulated. Someone here has to be self-regulated. Someone in a couple has to be self-regulated in order to offer co-regulation. Co-regulation does not mean we do things for people. Co-regulation does not mean we sacrifice our values to appease the other person. That's not co-regulation. Co-regulation is when one person in a dyad has access to their state of safety and social engagement, they will naturally, they don't have to really even choose to do it. They will just naturally, um, spontaneously provide cues of safety. So in a relationship with two individuals, one of them has to be self-regulated enough to be able to offer co-regulation. We can't really demand it of each other. That's not the way it works. So this gives us this kind of like chicken and egg situation, right? So we need co-regulation to develop self-regulation. And that's more of like growing up, like kid stuff. But even as adults, getting co-regulation makes it a lot easier to uh, to continue to build one's own self-regulation. But maybe we didn't get it growing up. Maybe we didn't get co- co-regulation growing up. And then we meet others who are in potentially the same situation of needing co-regulation and not having enough self-regulation, didn't get it growing up. And they're looking for someone to kind of, uh, do this with this, do this co-regulation thing with. So both people are needing and wanting and waiting for the co-regulation, but they're not able to provide it to the other person since they're, they're unable to self-regulate as an individual. So this, uh, you can see, like, this is just going to snowball, right? This just reinforces itself over and over and over again. And how can we self-regulate until we get co-regulation? But how can we co-regulate unless one of the people is self-regulated enough? It's this chicken-egg catch-22 thing, and it just reinforces itself over and over again. It's a very difficult thing. So if this is you, if you're in a relationship like this, how do you break it? Well, you're listening to this, so to me that means you're already on the path to build some more of your own self-regulation capacity. Now, that doesn't mean listening to this is you're done, like you're good, and now you can go self-regulation, not at all. But if you're listening to this, that means you're open to new information. And if I've done a good enough job of explaining my ideas here, then you'll you'll adopt these ideas. You'll just uh, spontaneously do so. It'll exist in your mind, more or less and now you can take these and bring these to your relationship you can bring these in and have a maybe hopefully a higher level of awareness of yourself of what happens within you during conversations with your significant other have more awareness of what happens with you within you as i tell you that you don't control and that you kind of have to be okay with that on some level and that that probably is part of helping someone change is is having a healthier boundary I mean, if if you're hearing this, and I've done a good enough job of explaining myself and my ideas, make, and these ideas make sense, then that that this might set up a foundation for you to bring something new to the table in your own relationship, and all, but also to yourself mostly. If that's the case, if you, if this is giving you a new kind of understanding and a new foundation of information you can build from that, so that's that's how you break it. Is you're already doing it, like just exposing yourself to new ideas. Even challenging ideas. That is how you break these cycles, I think, is by at least part of it, it's just part of it. Is by having more awareness to to other ideas or other resources or whatever, right? Like that's part of it. So now you build from there. And the where you build from there is to build your own self regulation. If you're more self regulated, you're gonna be able to offer it more to your, your loved ones, whoever they are. And if that's true, then that might help to ease some of the tension in the relationship. Does it fix it? Not necessarily. Am I asking you to put up with someone's abuse while you self-regulate? No, hell no. Absolutely not. Am I asking you to sacrifice your values and work on your self No, no. Hopefully it's clear. I I mean exactly what I said. We have two people in a relationship. One of them has to be self-regulated. Well, ideally both of them are, but in order for co-regulation to happen, at least one of them has to be uh, more self-regulated and be able to offer it, offer their state of safety and social connection as much as they can. We don't need perfection. We don't need it. I think my course can be helpful when it comes to building self-regulation and and feeling what it feels like to be safe. Um, That's kind of the idea is it's called building safety anchors. So it's a course that helps you over the span of 30 days to figure out, to learn, to notice what brings you to safety, what activates those safety pathways. And it helps you to build your capacity to be and exist in those safety pathways, to feel them and to exercise them and to hopefully build that, that that capacity. And if you can do that, if you can build your self-regulation and, and build your feelings of safety, you're you're going to bring those to every domain of your life. That's kind of how this works is when, when we build our safety pathways, it carries over into our relationships and our parenting and our work life. And, you know, it, when you work on you, you're, you're going to bring that best version of you to these different areas of your life. And I think it helps. I don't. I don't think that it's up to you to fix your relationship. I don't feel like it's up to you to fix the person, the other person in the relationship. I don't like it's. I'm not saying that at all. But we always do have to work on us, right? That's ultimately what we have some, some uh, semblance of control over, more or less. Is, at least it seems like it. So that that's that's my thought on how do you break these, uh, these cycles of what I'm discussing here. You're learning new things already, so you're already on the path. And then you build self-regulation. I think my course, Building Safety Anchors, can be really helpful. There'll be a link in the description if you want to learn more about that. Or just email me, justinlmft@gmail.com at gmail.com, and you can ask me more about it. So the last thought I want to give you here is we are not co-regulation machines. We are not machines. We are not implementing co-regulation software that somebody has uploaded into us we are not robot like it's okay to have whatever feeling you have about the situation that you're in it's okay to feel frustrated about your partner or your spouse or whoever or your parents or your children you're allowed to feel disappointed you're allowed to feel angry whatever it is like you don't have to constantly be in this state of co-regulation and safety, that's kind of unrealistic. And I don't think it's helpful to to expect that of yourself. So I hope you know that I'm not expecting that of you. It's, it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. All right, give yourself that permission and then own the feeling. If you're in a relationship where things aren't going well, where the other person is stuck in a state of safety, I'm sorry, defense, if your spouse is in a, in a stuck state of defense and you're frustrated about that, that is okay to feel that way. Give yourself permission. Own the feeling of frustration. Let it be. Do the best you can to combine that with your feelings of love and safety and connection. So we want to access, we want to self-regulate as much as we can. But then also keep in mind and let yourself feel that frustration or, or anger, whatever it is, while also accessing your state of safety and that that'll fuel that'll that's going to feel like motivation it's going to feel like drive and focus okay so you're allowed to feel frustrated you're allowed to feel angry and disappointed and when you combine that with your state of safety it's going to come out differently like when you're angry without the safety state on it's just anger you're yelling and name calling and swearing probably but when you have the state of safety on you're determined that angry energy becomes determination. That angry energy becomes determination. It becomes focus. It becomes messages of I love you and I expect better of you and, and I'll do whatever I can to support you, but I can't do it for you. It's going to kind of sound like that potentially. I don't know what it'll sound like for you, but that's what it's going to sound like potentially. So remind yourself that you don't control the other person. Remind yourself that you do love them. But also remind yourself, you also love the heck out of yourself. And you're going to give yourself permission to have the feelings you do have. You are going to do the best you can to self-regulate, learn how to self-regulate. The best you can. Do the best you can. That's all. You're going to give yourself permission to be grounded in your own values, your own positive expectations for other people. You're, we're not co-regulation machines. It's okay to have these feelings. Okay? I've got uh, two announcements. Next episode is episode 100. I'm going to kind of do, I, I'm planning on doing like a reflection. None of that is uh, planned uh, planned out in much detail yet. We'll see how it goes, but that's episode 100. Episode 101, after that, is going to be the start of Polyvagal 101, where I'm going to go do some polyvagal concepts all over again and see what new stuff comes up. But I also have another announcement. I do have uh, my Patreon where you can get access to a whole other podcast of exclusive content, no repeats. And that is on Patreon. You can have access to that for five bucks a month. Also that's not new that that's been around for uh, actually a year now. So that's not, that's not new, but what is new is that now on Patreon for 20 bucks a month, I will be doing a live stream Q and a. So if you can spend 20 bucks a month, I will do a live stream Q&A with you. And right now it's looking up. It's looking to be a pretty small group of people. It's not therapy. It's not group therapy. It's not clinical supervision. <laughs> nothing like that. It's just an opportunity for you to ask questions and get answers from me. You'll have you and whoever else is there is going to have 100% of my attention. Uh, this is different than um, I, I do plan on offering like paid consultations. That'll be a lot more than 20 bucks a month. So this is... The idea here is to get a, a group of people going at a dollar amount that is not too much. I want to give people the opportunity to to ask questions and get my attention if they have some burning questions that are not that are more general. Because this is not therapy. I'm not answering and questions about anyone's particular life. I'm not giving them advice or there none of that. It is just general Q and A. Just if you, if you want to pick my brain about something or or just have questions about polyvagal theory or whatever it is. uh, This is the opportunity. That's like a really good opportunity to do so. I'm also going to request something of you in this episode, and that is to uh, subscribe to this podcast. That makes such a big difference. Ratings and reviews are nice. They don't really do much as far as reachability. It's kind of like social proof. And honestly, I mean, I appreciate it. If you have any feedback, it's always okay to let me know about that. But if you want to rate and review, that'd be awesome. But if you subscribe if you hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using that is what makes a big difference all right so uh, if you like what i'm producing a a great way to support me and a free way is to simply subscribe that i would love if you did that otherwise uh, thank you so much for listening it has been 99 episodes well actually more than that because we were publishing more than once a week for quite a while thank you so much for listening to this i do hope you've learned something new to help you climb your own polyvagal ladder. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. There's also some links in the description for resources that might be of help. Bye.